Welcome, everybody. We have Chris Parsons on the show, Brain Health, Unchaining Your Pain. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you, Ruth. It's nice to be here. Uh, so it's an absolute pleasure to have you on my show. I know you've got an amazingly uh, poignant story to tell from your experience in the context of brain health. But we, before we start, just, just introduce you and I'd love you to tell people a little bit about yourself, who you are and what you do. So Chris is passionate about mental health and well-being. He suffered from a series, serious mental health issue himself and he's very much aware of the stigma uh, that surrounds the topic and his aim here is to reduce the stigma so that mental ill health is treated exactly the same as physical ill health and in 2018 Chris completed an intensive program of psychotherapy at Regents University in London. He's also a trustee of MQ Mental Health and he's been a lawyer at Herbert Free Smith Hills for 36 years and he's chairman of their India practice for the last 16 so welcome Chris. Thank you, Ruth. So for the listeners, I know we've given quite a long introduction, but could you just tell people, for, for those that don't know you, who you are and who you serve? Who, who, who I am and, sorry, what was who the other serve? one? Who you serve. Who I serve. Yeah. And what do you mean by serve? So who, 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 you, who you support. So... From a client perspective, obviously you work in the India practice and who you support in the context of mental health. Yeah, okay, thanks. So look, yeah, I am, um, look, I'm, I'm, I'm a lawyer by training. I've been at the same firm, as you said, Ruth, for 36 years now. And, um, and also, as you said, I, I've spent the last 16 years um, as chairman of our India practice. And, and what that has involved is being principally looking after Indian clients, um, doing transactions outside of India uh, around the world, and also looking after international clients doing things in India. Um, one of the nice things, one of the great exports of the UK is um, English law, and many of those transactions are governed by uh, English laws, which is why we, we have a role. And then separately, um, as a result of the struggles that I've had over many years, um, I have um, a real uh, and deep interest in, in mental well-being, and I speak to organizations uh, around the world about um, what they can do better to look after their people uh, and what people can do better to look after themselves. And uh, I went public with my struggles in 2015, uh, and since then, um, I, I've made it a really important part of my mission to try and uh, help people understand what mental ill health looks like uh, and, and how we can look after each other and ourselves. And I think it's such an important topic, particularly given the, the state of the nation and the state of the world at the moment in these present times and the difficulty that people have been having for a whole variety of reasons. For, because this show is all about brain health, what does optimal brain health mean for you personally? And it's not a right or wrong question. It's it's different for everyone. Yeah, look, um, I mean, I, I like to think very much of my mental health a bit like my physical health. And, and I'll often say to people, look, I'm sure on a scale of one to 100, 
you could tell me sort of what your physical health uh, looks like. And perhaps it's a little bit more difficult with your mental health, but I think it's good to think of it uh, on that sort of scale. So, so you know, where am I? And when I know that I'm in a good place, in other words, my mental health is more towards 100 than it is to zero, it, it simply means that I can just be um, more efficient in what I'm doing. So, for example, if I've got a, a complicated um, speech to write or a document to produce or some views to express, um, I know when I'm in a good place because I can do the research, I can read up, I can understand it, I can formulate what I want to say to people really quickly and, and without too much struggle. And, and the flip side of that, of course, is, is when you're not in a good place, you, you'll often read things and not understand them clearly. You might even read them two or three times and not understand them. Um, it also means that I'm sleeping well when I'm when I'm in a when my brain's in a, in a good place, and I'm just enjoying day-to-day -day stuff that that we can in, all, all enjoy. Whether it's watching TV with my wife, whether it's listening to some music, whether it's taking the dogs for a walk, um, whether it's having a meal with friends. So um, it, it, it's 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 it, it's that for me which 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 um, would indicate that my brain is in is in a good place my brain is in a healthy place I do know I really love the way you discuss that because you covered all four quadrants of well-being that I talk about from a brain health perspective so we talk about our emotional well-being is is how we feel our, our physical well-being is what we're doing is what we're doing bringing us joy and and feeling purposeful our our mental well-being, which is that clarity of thought and focus and ability to think clearly. Um, and then we have our spiritual well-being, which is living with passion and purpose and also that important connection to ourselves and, and to other people. So I, I love that you you covered all of those four quadrants. It's so important that we look at all four and not just at, at, at one of them. So I, I'd love to explore, based on those four quadrants, in your story, and we're going to go into it in, in, in some depth, but when did you notice, what, what of those aspects that you've just described was really rock bottom for you? When did you notice that, that you were in a really dark place? It's, it, it, in a way, Ruth, it's, it's, it's difficult to answer that in the sense that because of our sort of life experiences, we have... Um, a sort of a level of where we are at a current time. And of course, sometimes it's difficult to know whether whether the, the place in which you are is, is an acceptable place. I often hear people say to me, look, you know, I'm working really hard at work. I'm not sleeping so well. It's a stressful, you know, I have got, I've got a stressful job, but isn't, you know, isn't that how everyone is? Isn't, isn't that the sort of you know, the, the base level that we all have to put up with. So I think my starting point is sometimes it's difficult to assess mm. clearly whether you're uh, in a bad place or not. But having said that, um, in, in the end, actually, my, my body voted for me. So it wasn't like I made a conscious decision and acknowledged that I was in a bad place. My body simply gave up. So, so, you know, part of my story is, is very high levels of anxiety and stress at work. I used to um, uh, cycle to work for 20 years in London. Mm -hmm. And for 
many of the mornings on, on, before I set off for work, I used to pray that I would be knocked off my bike uh, because I wanted a physical reason not to go to work rather than the mental health reason. So I clearly realized that there, there, there were things that weren't quite right. I, I, I think we can all accept that it's not normal to, to want to be knocked off your bike so mm. you, you don't to go to work. And then I would self-medicate with alcohol. That's another big part of my story. So I would drink most evenings to alleviate that stress and anxiety. Um, I can really and, relate to that, by the way. <laughs> Because that yeah. was part of my story too. Is right. is that right. self medication, and yeah. I don't. Uh, and it creep. It, for me, it crept up on me. And you, you, you know, get to half a bottle a night, or what? You know, whatever the volume is. But you, you, it starts off quite innocent. Can start off quite innocently, yeah. and then and then develop into into a problem. Yeah, which it which it unquestionably did with me. Although, mm. as you said, it's 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 a progressive thing. Uh, but but it's clear to me that I, and again, it would be difficult to pinpoint the moment, but I, it's, there's no doubt that I then um, misused alcohol. It, it, it became something that started controlling me rather than contro me controlling it. And um, I became, I am a, a, an alcoholic, or, or, albeit in remission, thankfully, but, but mm. even so. Um, and so then, of course, I had two problems rather than one, a sort of mental health issue around stress, anxiety and depression on the one hand and alcoholism on the other. And as I said, my, my body really made the decision for me because, you know, I just really kept on pushing and pushing and pushing and, and, and trying to pretend that there wasn't an issue. And I went down to the gym one evening, it was in 1996, so a long time ago now when I had my first major um, what can only be described as a, a, a mental breakdown. I, I went to the gym, I collapsed, I um, was just about able to get my, um, my clothes back on, I got a taxi home, I was rushed to hospital, uh, I had every single test imaginable done, and at the end of all of those tests I was told by the senior doctor, uh, Mr Parsons, there's nothing wrong with you, which was, you know, the sort of it may sound odd, but it was it was uh, the last thing I wanted to hear. I desperately wanted something um, to be able to point at, to say, look, this is how I feel. I could tell friends and family and work, this is, this is how I was. But of course, because there was nothing physically wrong with me, it only left a mental health issue. And I then, you know, uh, fell into a very, very deep depression from which at, at, at the time I thought I would never emerge from. Uh, so that was really the start of my body saying to me, physically, you just can't do this anymore. You're going to need to make some adjustments. And I made some adjustments, but, but probably not sufficient because um, I had subsequent episodes of depression. Um, uh, and it was only really at a later stage when I made a really very radical reassessment of my life and my approach to life um, that actually I... I I, I properly started to get better. Do, Dr. Gabon Mate, thank you for sharing that. Do, do, mm. Dr. Gabon Mate has written a phenomenal book called When the Body Says No. Mm. And, and this is very much about us not acknowledging that we have trauma uh, in, our, in, our, in our mind and, and we think we can carry on 
and and not deal with it and, and not address it and actually when we ignore the emotions that come from our childhood often where it originates um and we suppress them our our emotions are a signal telling us to do something to move away from pain and to move move towards gain typically and by suppressing them they're still there and they actually you're ending up turning up the volume more because your 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 mind is saying no we need to do something about this and when you keep suppressing them which it sounds like what happened for yourself your body takes on the brunt of the emotional uh trauma that you're experiencing and ultimately your body says no which is which is in essence what you've just described there so for your journey i know you mentioned you know you ended up with a addiction struggling with addiction which is a consequence of your self-medication approach and then also the the uh symptoms of depression but it, it all stems from from trauma um doesn't it from your from your past would you be able to describe um yeah. what that is what that is for those that don't know yeah of, of course and um and you mentioned in the introduction that I sit on the board of MQ Mental Health uh, Research, which is the leading mental health research charity in the UK. And through that, I've uh, learned that actually those of us who go on to struggle with mental ill health, the seeds are very often uh, sown in childhood, as you rightly said. And in fact, I think actually the, the data I've read suggests that 75% of us uh, that go on to struggle, uh, the seeds are sown in, in childhood. So it, it, it's, a, it, it's a common feature. And, and it reminds me, of course, is the, the, the enormous responsibility that we have as parents in terms of the way we, we um, uh, mm. can impact our children. And so my story um, involved really my mum and my dad. Um, uh, my, my dad... Um, Loved my mum, loved my mum until the day he died um, three years ago. And um, but where he struggled was when children uh, came along. And, um, and it's something that would go on to repeat itself because it's something I recognise myself. But I, th I think the heart of it, and, and I never discussed this with him, but the heart of it was that um, uh, the emotional energy that, my mum would 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 um, would give to her children, in particular me being the eldest um, child and male. I think that was an issue as well. Um, meant that that um, you know that he was excluded, and I believe he suffered from uh, jealousy, significant jealousy, mm -hmm. as a result of that. And because of that jealousy, he um, he he found me difficult. And I think I've, I've said, you know, it, it, at best I was an irritant and at worst I, w you know, was somebody who he could not wait to leave home. And and he couldn't help himself but but um, but show that, you know, both verbally and, and sort of emotionally. So, you know, it, it felt like every day he made me cry, but it, it, it can't have been. But but it, it, it that that is one of my sort of abiding memories. Um, I used to spend a lot of time in my bedroom, um, uh, frankly, keeping out of his way. But it, it, it did mean that I turned into a bit of a swap. So I used to read a lot. I used to do homework. I would listen to music, etc. And um, 
and, and because I just didn't want to be anywhere near him because it was dangerous to be near him. You know, mm. if you were in the bathroom or if I was in the bathroom when, when you know, he wanted to use it, you know, all hell would, would, would um, be sort of released. You didn't want to be near him at breakfast time. Um, he was normally a bit calmer by the evenings. The mornings were, were, were terrible. My friends wouldn't come to the house because they regarded him as as um, as a difficult man, you know, emotionally very volatile, and they and they were frightened to come to the house. And then there were separate issues with my, with with my mum uh, as well. Um, and so, in in a way, you know, I had this sort of perfectly awful packaging dysfunctional packaging when I was released out into the into the wild released out to school university and at work because I viewed the world as a very difficult dangerous place you know the place where I was meant to be safe uh, and contented at home be became was was not a good place and was a frightening place um I have another very distinct memory where I used to go and stay with my maternal grandmother, uh, who I loved deeply. And, and in fact, my, my, my paternal grandparents as well, I, I, I also had a, a fantastic relationship with. But I, I remember one particular episode, I was sitting at the top of the stairs of my grandmother's house. I, I don't know how old I would have been, maybe sort of seven or eight. And I could hear my parents downstairs and, and, I, and they were coming to collect me. Um, and, and I can just remember sobbing because I didn't want to leave because I felt mm. safe with my grandmother, uh, but didn't say feel safe being being taken home. And and so, you know, I viewed the world with enormous anxiety and worry, and um, and uh, and and that clearly was going to have a significant mm. impact on my day-to-day -day life and 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 it was why to begin with at least alcohol became the answer because of course it did the job that I wanted it to do it it, it made me relax it made me feel all right it made me forget about the worries of the world um and so which is why I think so many alcoholics find it incredibly difficult to give up because they too think of uh, alcohol as the answer and as long as you think of it as the answer the last thing you want to do is to give it up which is why mm. it's it took me decades to recognize that that um that, that whilst it worked for me sometimes the consequences were um increasingly awful and therefore and it how, was only how did you manage obviously as a thank you for sharing and um mm. I, I hear a lot of people talk about um their childhood trauma and how they used their intellect to escape because if you can't escape your surroundings and I've done this myself the only way you can escape is into your mind and and obviously the you can't escape your emotional mind because that's the bit that's that's really fired up so you seek to use your cognitive uh, aspects as your escape tool to deal with the emotional aspects and the the external um, lack of safety that you have in your in your surroundings, your environment. How how did your how did your dad make you feel as a child? Were you able to connect with those emotions that you were feeling later on once you were able to go through the the, the support that you got to to get yourself to where you are today? 
So I, you know, I, I, I got on better with my dad once I'd left home because mm-hmm. um, I was no longer a threat, you know, and, and actually he was enormously proud of what I'd achieved. And, and through that, actually, I, I learned some probably some other unhelpful lessons, which were that, that um, sort of love was conditional so that he was um, prepared to accept me and to acknowledge me, uh, et cetera, um, once I'd left home and, and become successful. So I think I, you know, I, I constantly um, got this un, unhelpful sense that in order to be validated, I needed to do something. I needed to be mm. something. I needed to be successful. I needed to um, um, be validated through doing something positive rather than simply being um, worthwhile of value I- I- in myself. And I think the closest we ever got to revisiting um how things had been at home was was actually interestingly I, I did go and stay with them after I was sort of recovering through my first bout of depression and that's interesting isn't it that I that even though I had challenges I, I did go back and stay with them and I remember we were we were sitting in a in a in a in a pub in um, in West Wales and I think I said something like, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I was on medication at this stage and I was having some counselling. And I think I said something like, oh, the, you know, the counsellor has explained to me that a, a, a lot of the challenges that we face later in life um, are because of stuff that's happened during our childhood. And two things happened. One, my mum burst into tears and said, please never tell me how that was for you so she clearly had a deep sense that that that, that things weren't right and she almost couldn't bear to hear what they were because she couldn't almost she didn't feel it felt like she wasn't strong enough to 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 carry what what that might have meant and separately my dad just looked at me and said I wasn't a very good dad was I and and that was the only acknowledgement that he ever made. I, I, I obviously, I didn't, I didn't say that he was rubbish, but I was obviously thinking that. But nor did I try and uh, make light of it. I didn't say, oh no, no, there was nothing. I, I simply mm. uh, left it. And 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 I think I, you know, and I subsequently grew to learn, probably indirectly through my mum, that my dad had struggled as a child, and mm. and father had been incredibly tough on him. So his role model was awful. I, I you know, so there's a whole bunch of stuff that that, of that, course, actually, yeah. that my dad, uh, you know, the, the, the reason he behaved like he did was because of his upbringing. Mm. Uh, and, and, and frankly, his had been, you know, really dysfunctional. So, you know, it was simply life repeating itself, which is also an incredibly... Um, sad thing to see these sort of generational issues um, repeating themselves, and and uh, they 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 need ideally to be broken. The the chain of problem needs to be. Broken. And we can break them because our brains are so malleable. So when we can change the environment and change the behaviours that we're expressing and understand the root cause of those behaviours, the root cause, the emotions, the epigenetics, like you've just expressed. It is possible to 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 change because our genes only load the gun. It's the environment 
that pulls the trigger. So if we if we make sure that we create a nurturing environment for our children going forward, even if we've been in a in a destructive one, then we don't have to carry that uh, that that on to gener generations to come. And I think that's what's so uh, wonderful as an opportunity for us from a brain health perspective is that we can change the status quo, we can change the outcome for the future. So I know you mentioned for yourself that you um, you used you used education and um, to help you get through, and actually it became your your kind of it seems that it's become your mission and 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 the thing that has defined your success is is leveraging your your ultimately was your survival mechanism at the time which was escaping into study has now become what's what's your passion and purpose w would you say that's right or is or has that evolved differently yeah no i, I would say th th there's there's no doubt that that um I, I would say that my primary purpose now feels like uh, uh, a a desire to share with people um some of the the issues around mental well-being to to explain to people how incredibly common it is to reinforce um that it's life-threatening so mm. that um, that that it can take you to a place in which you don't want to be around anymore and i certainly um uh, had the notion that i wanted to go to sleep and and, and never wake up um and 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 to talk to organisations about how they can um, make the work environment uh, uh, more constructive, more open, more supportive, more helpful, um, in order to help people. Um, and, and separately, how we as an individuals uh, can go about, you know, uh, looking after ourselves uh, mm -hmm. better. And and so I, I would say that that was. I, I would regard that now as my uh, primary purpose in life. You know, of course, we have a whole bunch of other stuff, mm. and I, I remain passionate about India, um, where until lockdown I was spending two weeks every month, and, and I spend a lot of time learning about India, reading about India, about its people, its cultures, its caste system, its language, its food, its geography, etc. Uh, but, but but I would say my primary purpose now feels like a, a sort of mission around mental well-being and, and and trying to make a difference in that space. And I know I think that's wonderful. And I know that you have had a huge amount of support from your firm in order to help you uh, through the recovery process. And you you mentioned that you went through your first bout of depression. Um, was was several years ago, many years ago now. Could you could you describe uh, for those that don't know? Could you describe what happened and how what sort support you got at the time that was really crucial for you to to get through that yeah. that really difficult period? Yeah. Look. Um, so, so at a personal level, it, it involved uh, initially going to the GP and the and the GP being clear that I needed psychiatric uh, help and support. And uh, we, we, there was a discussion around whether medication would help. I um, I am of the view and remain of the view that for some of us, medication is uh, an incredibly important part of our recovery. And um, I have been on 
different forms of antidepressants um, pretty much since 1996. Um, there have been one or two periods where I came off under medical guidance and actually became depressed again. So it, it, it seems like there is a genuine chemical imbalance in my brain, whether it's around serotonin or noradrenaline or, or, or whatever other chemicals might, might, might uh, uh, be relevant to, to, to my brain. So that was a critical part, coupled with some counselling. And um, so back in 1996, no, nobody was talking about uh, mental health um, uh, and certainly not in a, in, in a work context. And, and so the, 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 the narrative at work was that, that Chris had been overdoing it and needed to recharge his batteries. Whereas the truth, of course, is that I had had uh, as full and complete a mental breakdown as I certainly would ever want to experience and, and was very ill. And I remember the psychiatrist saying to me, look, Chris, you know, you should think of this as if you'd had the equivalent of, of a major heart attack and mm. you're need to recover in the way that, that that recognizes that and you're going to need to care for yourself and look after yourself and make some adjustments and go back to work carefully and slowly uh, all, all of which was absolutely um, incredibly important advice and um uh, and so you know my the, the thing i think i would say most about work because then in in subsequent e episodes um, I became more emboldened and, and, and was willing to use the word depression. And, and I have to say work was absolutely fantastic. You know, w w once I was just, I, I went into the head of corporate and I said, look, you know, my, uh, my depression seems to have come back. I'm not in a good place. And they sent me home immediately, which is exactly what I needed, what I wanted, what I, um, what I was desperate for. Um, uh, and on one or two other occasions, I simply phoned into the office and said, look, you know, I'm not well again. And again, the, 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 um, the response was just wonderfully supportive. You know, you, you, you've been here before, Chris, you know, you know best how to sort of support and look after yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and for me, the most important message was, please don't feel... Number one, don't worry about work. We'll get it covered. Do not look at your emails. Don't do any of that sort of stuff, which, again, was just this enormous relief that I that I wasn't sort of expected to somehow do some sensible handover and to monitor my emails. So I just needed to be told everything's okay. fine. Let go. I needed to let go. And then separately, what I found incredibly helpful was, um, Chris, you don't need to report into us on a regular basis don't feel the pressure to say you know every other day oh i'm you know i'm up i'm down i'm not i'm not really sure i needed so basically for me what worked best was just chris you know you know what support you need you've got your family and friends around you we're here if you need need us so if you need to contact us, you need to, to speak to, you know, the firm doctor or, or, you know, whatever it might be, we're here for you, but don't feel that you need to report in. You let us know when you're ready to re-engage. Uh, and that, again, was the most perfect way of looking after me. 
Mm. Um, because I then I never felt the, the the responsibility to you know try and work out how I was on a given day, and and what report I should be giving. So it was really just once I had started to emerge from the blackness that um, uh, that, that, that I could I could then say, look, I, you know, I, I genuinely think I'm sort of on the road to recovery. Um, you know, the, the the medical advice is that perhaps within four weeks, I can sort of restart work. And then the final piece was an acceptance that you couldn't go from being off and, and, and seriously unwell through to then going back to, to a full-time position. And I needed to re-engage. So I think, you know, the first week, I probably worked three mornings from home. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it built up, but it built up based on how I was feeling rather than the, the firm putting any pressure on me. So mm-hmm. in, in all of those respects, um, I, I'm enormously indebted um, to, to, um, to my firm. Mm-hmm. I, I had a very different experience coming back to it for me is uh, I was expected to travel into into the London office when I actually the closest office from a travel perspective was half an hour away um, and it was expected for me to, to do a two hour journey to come into work for four hours and then travel another two hours to go home um, uh, for me to fulfill my commitment which created an enormous amount of additional stress when I was already acutely stressed mm. um so i think it's i think it's wonderful that that your workplace was very uh, accommodating to uh, uh, and you were in the driving seat which i think mm. is is really wonderful that you you could tell them okay this works for me this doesn't work for me how mm. how is that um manifested within the organization i know you, you mentioned it initially um when you when you first had your about of depression it wasn't something that we talked about but nowadays we're much more open or we're seeking to be more open and remove remove that stigma how has that uh, changed the conversations that people have within their workplace workplace and also from a legal perspective because you know we know lawyers work incredibly hard um and this this um particular sector isn't you know devoid of people struggling how has that changed yeah having the workplace look we we um and i i i don't claim any credit for this at all we've got a whole bunch of people who working in diversity and inclusion who Mm -hmm. are incredibly focused on our whole well-being initiatives and so i think as an organization that we've made um really big and important steps forward um yeah look I, i'm extremely proud of, of, of what the firm has achieved and actually probably the most important thing that i would share um sorry just to back up one moment so one of the criticisms one of the few criticisms if you like of 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 me coming out in 2015 and talking about mm-hmm. The struggles that I've had, talking about my brokenness, talking about my mental health issues and, and my related addiction, um, and, and the fact that the firm had been so supportive. Um, so so the, a, a completely legitimate point that was made to me, actually by a number of the associates that I was very close to, the, some of the more junior people within the organization, said to me, look, Chris, it's all right for you because you, you've been at the firm for so many years. You, you've sort of earned your 
goodwill. You've earned your badge of trust. And therefore, the firm was willing to accommodate and make allowances for somebody who had been at the firm for so long and, 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 and hopefully it added some, some value over that time. And I found it difficult to answer that question until um, more junior people were willing to come out and to share their stories because, because it was only once we had people in business services, secretaries, um, people working in finance, associates, you know, sort of senior, middle uh, and junior associates and trainees, it was only once they felt sufficiently comfortable that in telling their stories, one, that they would be taken seriously, and two, that they genuinely considered that those disclosures would not impact adversely on their careers, was I able to say, look, we have genuinely now built a culture in which there is a much better understanding and acceptance that people will from time to time struggle with mental ill health because mm. it's very common. And so that was really the breakthrough moment for me. And, and so what I encourage other organizations to do is to find some champions, and, and there are many champions within Herbert Smith Freehills of mental well-being to talk out publicly about it and, and to seek with the senior leadership to build a culture in which people feel sufficiently confident to share their stories in a way that isn't going to affect their ongoing careers. Mm. I think, do you know, I think that's so important because there are many people who feel that need to bury their struggles because of the fear factor associated with well, what will happen if mm. I I, I tell my story, what will happen if I, I tell the truth um, in terms of my security from a job perspective, from a, a, a physical perspective, all of the aspects that, that we worry about, relationships perspective, how is that going to change the relationships that I have with the people in the organisation? Are they going to view me differently? Am I going to yeah. be assigned a label? Uh, yeah. And that's certainly what I was very conscious of is it seemed to be commonplace um for the firm i was in for people to be off sick with with stress uh and it was it, it wasn't a badge of honor it felt like a, a badge of shame that you didn't have the resilience you know they talk about a lot about resilience training and i think it's really important that people do create the right culture within the workplace where people can have open discussions um, about how they're feeling, about what they're struggling with, even if it's not work-related, because we all bring our home life to work, whether we whether we like it or not, and we take our work life home with us. We're all now in the same space often um, that we can talk about what we what our struggles are, whether that's a uh, from a mental health perspective, or we have family members who may be struggling with uh, other brain health struggles, such as Alzheimer's disease. Uh, uh, Lyme's disease is another classic that can lead to depression. There's all sorts of different struggles that we can experience from a brain health perspective and creating that culture to be open and honest about it, I think is is really important. And I know you mentioned that for yourself, um, you, you um, were able to um, overcome 
these struggles that you have through a lot, a lot of support and a lot of deep work for, for yourself and, and you, you're still on medication to, to help you manage manage the uh, your your mindset as well what what one piece of advice would you would you say to anyone that's that's really struggling with their brain health whether that's mental ill health or anything else and they're struggling to to talk about it to, to get the help they need what, what would you say to somebody yeah well look you know the the thing you know whenever i'm asked you know what would i do differently um the, the the key I think is that I should have um, have asked for help earlier, and mm-hmm. and of course we, you know we need to do that in a way that is 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 right for us. So I'm not suggesting for a moment that it's right for everyone that they should um, go out and publicly declare their channel um, you know their challenges to their organisation or to the world as as I've ultimately done now but um, to, 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 to find people that they trust and respect and, and to share their struggles and um, and and that in itself of course as, as you'll know Ruth um, is 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 an incredibly helpful start to be able to share how you're feeling and then separately you know to get to, 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 to get professional advice mm. um, and so, you know, that that's the the other key piece to this. I mean, interestingly, I, you know, I think for some people, um, uh, they can make a full and complete recovery, as you will know, Ruth. Mm. And and then for others, there will need to be a fairly radical reassessment of their life. And and I fell into that category of having to make a pretty radical reassessment and and to change things. Um, uh, significantly for, for me to get to a, 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 a the place that I'm in at the moment and and of course I, I remember I did a, a five-week program at Regents University sponsored by the firm again fantastically uh, supportive sponsored by the firm and and the, the the lecture I remember saying there is that you know we're all work in progress and we'll remain work in progress until the day we die and I, and I, you know, I would be the first to admit that um, uh, that, that that I still need a, a lot of help and support, and and to be very mindful about how my history um, catches up with me from time to time, and I can turn from you know the sort of rational, calm, thinking human being into that sort of emotional human being that is, is struggling with the way they're feeling and and um but also to know that that is that's just a fact and and uh and and it's something that that will 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 be with me you know forever mm-hmm. well i just want to say thank you chris for sharing your story i know it's you know it's a very been a very difficult journey for yourself and it's wonderful that you're able to tell it now uh, and help others have be able to have the voice for themselves to to go and ask ask for help. What just quickly? What is next for you on your on your mission? Well, how can I, people I, get hold of you? Yeah, look, I mean, please, if people would like to, you know, send me an invite on LinkedIn or any anything like that, because I'm often posting stuff on mental wellbeing. Please do. Um, no, I, I, I'm hoping to start a degree. Uh, I plan to start uh, a master's in psychotherapy next uh, April at Regents University. 
and um, and in due course, um, I hope to become a, a registered psychotherapist. So I'll be starting my second career in due course. Although a lot of people have suggested that I've been through a number of different careers within Herbert Smith Freehill. So maybe maybe I'm actually it's about my fourth or fifth career. So um, anyway, it's something I'm enormously looking forward to. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on the show, uh, Brain Health Unchain Your Pain. I wish you every success in your future. This broadcast is brought to you by Winject Studios. We are an all-in-one educational platform for podcasters that revolutionizes how hosts leverage content to increase engagement with listeners, downloads, and income. We come together to focus on community, collaboration, and collective impact. For more information on how you can interact directly with our hosts, access exclusive live content with offers you can't get anywhere else from our official partners, join our purpose-driven community by visiting www.winject.com. If you're ready to build a career doing what you love, then we're ready to see you there.